Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, my name is Steve Lister. I'm one of the Rethink Retail influencers, and I'm here today at the show, and I have the great pleasure in interviewing Stephanie from Abel & Cole. Right, we've got a series of questions, and the first one I'd like to, to start with is, what actually inspired you to join Abel & Cole, and what motivated you to take the head of sustainability role? Sure. Hi. Thanks for asking me to be here today. I was a customer of Abel & Cole's in the early 2000s and just fell in love with the brand at the time. Now, the brand was a lot smaller then, but in 2005, an opportunity came along to, to join Abel & Cole. And at the time, it was as a PA of Keith Abel, the founder. Oh, wow. And I'd never been a PA in my life. I was in aerospace and program management before. And I just jumped at the opportunity to work alongside Keith and learn from him. But what he was really looking for was a project manager, someone he could sort of chuck the ball to, who would catch it and run with it and make things happen. And so within about a year, I ran the warehouse down in Andover and our production team. And in 2015, I first uh, proposed to the board that a dedicated sustainability function was created. Wow, okay. And it, it still took a couple of years for it to come to fruition. But in 2019, I was appointed head of sustainability. My interest in sustainability, it just grew from, I mean, I, from the moment I joined Abel and Coal, I, I joined because I'm interested in how our decision is, in what we eat and buy shapes the world around us. Absolutely. The longer I worked with Abel and Coal, the more project work I did sort of focused in on sustainable projects. So for example, in 2009, my project was replacing our then polystyrene chilled box. Insulation chilled products, boxes, yes. Yeah. Replacing them with Whirlpool, British, you know, I surplus saw that. wool. And, that was uh, a big step forward. They're very innovative at the time. Yes, yes, we did. We were the first to roll it out on a big scale and uh, we won the UK Packaging Award, Joint Award for Most Sustainable Packaging with Whirlpool Packaging at the time. That was 2010, so 13 years ago. And... Uh, I just wanted to continue to work in sustainability projects and to the point where I wanted to do that exclusively. So in 2019, that became a reality. So at that point, you were real innovators. You're really early yeah. in, the, in the whole you know, piece when it comes to sustainability and connecting it with food. Correct. So obviously you were a customer and then that inspired you then to go and work for the, the company. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you feel that journey is developed? You know, because obviously in that time, sustainability is now you know, pretty high on the agenda for all global brands and retailers. Yeah. Have you seen it change much in those years? Well, it's become far more competitive. And uh, I mean, we've always been, from the moment we were founded in 1988, we've been, you know, delivering in reusable boxes. So we always collect the packaging from the previous week. We reuse it as often as we can. We um, structure our delivery rounds to maximize miles per gallon. Right. So with us, you don't get to choose when you get your delivery. So we decide when we're in your neck of the woods and then we tie it in to make it the most fuel efficient route. So that's great planning as well. And that's, and that's good for your business as well absolutely. to be that efficient. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, our drivers deliver up to 90 deliveries a, a day in, in the high density areas. When you think it's someone like, you know, the, the multiples, they might only get 30, 35 deliveries a day. So for every 
wow. for every one of our vans, they might have two or three vans on the road. So it is a far more efficient way of okay. doing it. We've never air freighted anything. We only sell organic or until recently only sell organic food. We have a small range of sort of quite carefully curated non-organic products these days, okay. but 95% of our products are organically certified. Sourced, yeah. yeah. So obviously, so sustainability is really in the DNA yeah. of your whole company. That's the reason really that you started. Right. So how have you found with things like things have moved now with things like labeling on, on food and packaging? How is that changing? And how are you as a company dealing with that? Right. Well, it, um, you're referring to the equal impact labeling. That's what I was going for, yeah. So we launched probably the biggest trial in the UK with Foundation Earth. So in January, we published 90 of their equal impact labels after we'd gone through quite a, a very rigorous and diligent life cycle assessment with Mondra, a product carbon footprinting solution, or not just carbon, but yeah. impact assessment tool. And uh, it was important for us to show that our products are, you know, very carefully made, very innovatively, regeneratively made. And you can't just use the global averages that are used, you know, no. in the sort of uh, the more generic carbon footprinting. It doesn't do our products justice. No. And that's kind of what we wanted to show, really, and to show that our suppliers are already scoring incredibly highly on these various impact areas, such as carbon, water consumption, water usage, biodiversity. And, and that's really what this exercise showed us, you know, is out of our 90 products, I think we got three Bs. The rest were A's and A pluses. Yep. So you could argue it's probably pretty low risk, you know. It'll get a bit higher risk when you start eco-impact yep. labeling meat products, of course. Right. But as a first sort of out of the gate, showing customers what it can look like to have this sort of insight when you're making your purchasing decisions, I think it's a really great pioneering step to do so. Absolutely. And again, you're pioneering that whole piece then around yeah. sort of like that sustainable labeling. Right. What, was, what was one of the challenges you had within there? Because obviously when you start something new and you're a pioneer, it's always very difficult yeah. you know, if you're trying something new. Can you say of any course. challenges you had? Of course. I mean, first of all, when, when you're the only one out there with equal impact labels, what are your consumers going to compare it to? That's true. They've they're, got nothing to, have they? Exactly. So that's one of the challenges. The second is just obtaining the primary data from our suppliers was quite difficult because traditionally our suppliers are mostly family-owned farmers. They okay. want to be out tending to their fields, not on the computer entering their go. consumption so, data. So they're small farming yeah. communities or, or businesses. Correct. They're not, you know, sustainability experts, are they? Right. Absolutely, yes. So those were some of the difficulties. Um, cost, you know, it's uh, because it's in the early, in its infancy, really. Yep. You know, it's not, obtaining the primary data isn't scalable at this point. You're very no. reliant on it, just sort of case by case, you know, what can this farmer provide and that. So you, that's been quite difficult. Because you have a lot, I think you have over 300 uh, farming partners, don't you? Well, we have 350 suppliers. Not all of them are growers as such okay. because um, we do have some farmers. I'm thinking we've got like Ewa Valley and I mean, I guess they're still farmers. So yeah. Of course. So we've got about 350 suppliers. So if we, I mean, obviously, as the sustainability has grown and there's been yeah. a greater need for accreditations and things like that, one thing I'm particularly impressed with that you've obtained a B Corp, yeah. of which you proudly display. When you look at that and you conduct business, how do you see this certification evolving in the future with B Corp? Very interesting question. When we certified in 2018, we were among the first one. I was going to say, that's companies. very early. Yeah. 
So BCOP came to the UK in 2015, as I'm sure you probably know, and um, we certified in 2018 and then recertified in 2021. So we have to recertify every three years. Every three years, And yeah. uh, we saw an uplift of 17% in our score the second time around, which is fantastic. And today there are more than a thousand B Corps in the UK. So what does the future for that look like? I think they need to... The, the issue with B Corp at this point, I think, the business impact assessment, the platform on which you enter all your data, it is possible to do not quite so well in some area and then make up for it in another area. Okay. So, and I think that is currently maybe a bit of a downfall for it. So what they're doing currently is they're designing the next set of standards, which hopefully okay, will be rolled out in 2025 or so. But the next standard, you will have to meet a minimum standard in each, in each category. Section, in each category, yes. okay. Which I think is fantastic because yes. then you can't get by any longer no. with doing not quite so well here and better and there. And it's up in the levels for everybody in, in, in each category, in each uh, sector. Absolutely, Excellent. yes. So I think that's really important. And I think the fact that B-Lab is responding to it the way they are is, is so fantastic. So they're listening, yes. yeah, which is good. If we look at the lessons that other retailers can learn from yourselves at Abel and Cole's success in reducing food waste, how can these strategies be adapted to different retail sort of like environments? Because obviously you've led the way on food waste when you, th when you look at it. Well, we have. I mean, what we do particularly well, we, we have a food guardian. So a part of my team is a food guardian. And her sole responsibility is to make sure that every morsel of food that we can't pack for our customers for whatever reason, we may have overbought, we may have rejected it um, in quality because maybe the temperature regime wasn't maintained on transport. We work with a number of charities where it's still edible, so it goes to human consumption first and foremost. What isn't edible any longer goes to our pig farmers. Our surplus and waste is consumed. And that to us, that's really important to us. Absolutely, especially when you think of you know, when you look at the growers and the farmers, how much effort we, we see yes. and, and they work on very yeah. small margins, yeah. you know, you have to support them, especially if you can give that food back yes. and use it as a feedstock. Absolutely. Yes. Excellent. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the measures that Abel and Cole has taken to reduce its carbon footprint, such as the use of your electric delivery vehicles? You've got solar panels on warehouse roofs. Can you just give us a little sort of overview of how you do that? Sure. So our scope one and two carbon emissions, 80% is our fleet, our 130 diesel vans. We are now taking receipts of uh, 10 electric vans, but it is taking us longer than we would have liked to. There's a lot of challenges around what? shifting towards having a fleet of commercial vehicles, yes. isn't there? Absolutely. But also then it comes to availability. I mean, the, the, like, the bigger fleets have yep. sort of, you know, have filled the order books. Yeah or the manufacturers. So it's been quite difficult for us to just get a foot in the door because wow. you know, we're, we're quite a small fish in the bigger See, I scheme wouldn't, of things. I'd never have thought that that was a challenge. Yeah. I thought they were, they were manufacturing these you know, electric vehicles to keep up. Well, not quite managing to do so. So it's taken us a while to, to actually get build slots. Okay. And so we are taking receipt of the first 10 vans this summer. We have, however, started switching our fleet over to hydro-treated vegetable oil. Wow, okay. Um, and so, which is 95% less CO2. So already you're seeing big decreases yes, in your carbon that's footprint. That's right. So about a third of our fleet is now running on hydro-treated vegetable oil, so which is fantastic. Right. So that's how we will meet our reduction targets of 50%, an absolute figure for scope one and two by 2030, which is our SBTI pledge reduction targets. Excellent. And are you going to extend any more on the, on the solar panels that you've got, or are you, you pretty much covered your roof spaces? No, we're looking at different possibilities and so forth. So yes, we'd, we'd like to extend that further. Excellent. 
One question I'd really like to ask is how can retailers balance the demands of sustainability with the need to remain competitive in the marketplace? And what strategies have been successful for yourselves at Abel and Cole? Because I mean, obviously consumers at the moment are under a lot of pressure when it comes to, you know, their spend, you know, yeah. how are you seeing that as well at the moment? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think with regard to the competitive advantage or disadvantage, it's difficult because whilst I in the sustainability corner would quite like to see us cut our sales in, say, higher carbon products, such as maybe meat and dairy, etc. If we were the only ones doing that, then customers would just go elsewhere. Absolutely. So in other words, we're doing ourselves a disservice. You know, we'd be creating a competitive disadvantage for ourselves. Whereas, of course, if the industry works in unison, it's a far more level playing Play field. And, and I do think that's probably where the government needs to maybe step in step with some in. regulation. Yeah. Only to, to continue to make it fair for, for everyone because we, it's, it's sometimes being the first mover comes with being a disadvantage to your So I think that's important. One thing I think you're particularly good at is communicating your sustainability credentials. I mean, I've looked at your sustainability report. I've got to be honest with you. I think it's fantastic. I think you've, I think the problem we have is we don't simplify sustainability messages enough for consumers to actually understand. Your sustainability report, I've got to be honest with you, is fantastic. Um, I love the way you simplify it. Obviously, that was a strategy of yours to be able to simplify and take those numbers and then create that narrative that was easy to understand. You know, can you tell us a little bit about your thinking around that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. I mean, we spent quite a lot of time beforehand thinking about, well, what do we want this report to do? You know, we wanted it to be more than just a sort of a, a marketing tool, which in a lot of cases it is. Yes, they can and be. And we didn't want that to be the case. We wanted it to be informative, but also, you know, not not lose the reader, you know. Yeah. And so we just looked at Loads of different examples of sustainability reports, um, some that were incredibly word heavy and and went into great detail and some that were more focused on pictures. Yep. And so we... You've got a lovely balance. We I mean, wanted to hit uh, Well, you've, you've definitely achieved yeah. it. I mean, I was reading, it was really nice. You've got some nice little insight snippets. You explain the difference between carbon neutral and net zero. Yes. And I think that's really important for people because there's so many sustainability, you know, yeah words out there at the moment and and i think consumers are sometimes confused by what all these messages mean so i've got to say the simpler it is for people to understand and you obviously have connected with your consumers yes no we did we did we are i think throughout our history of our 35 years we've always been very good at communicating with our customers as you say but and we have quite a loyal following of of customers i I mean they hold us down to your honesty you're you're honest and open and i think people One from a trusted brand. Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I think it's also important sometimes just to hold your hand up and to say that we could have done something better. So, for example, it was late last year, I think, that we put an ad in various newspapers saying we sold you a lemon. And what we had done is actually we had switched some of our packaging over to compostable plastics. Right, okay. Going two, three, four years back. Yep. But with additional research that's now been done by the likes of UCL, etc., it seems as though compost plastics don't necessarily do what they're supposed to be doing or what it says on the tin and certainly not in this climate, etc. There's a lot of question marks around But when it. you introduced it, it was for the right reasons, for the right system yes. at that time. Exactly. I, I commend brands like, exactly. like yourselves who yeah. can stand up and say, do you know what, with the new data... Yes. We hold our hands up and say, do yeah. you know what? Yeah. And I, I love the idea of saying, you know, about sold the, you we sold you a yeah. lemon. That was really important to us. And we have quite a few of our customers came to us and said, we really appreciate that. And it, it does create that trust when you're not it afraid is. to feel that humility. Yep. 
and say we got it wrong. Yep. But, and it's the openness and the honesty. Yep. And I think, you know, with coming through, people want to see brands have that honesty, especially when it comes to their food. Yeah, you know? completely agree. So how do you, if we look forward in the future, what, what does the future look like for Abel and Calder? What's your next steps? I mean, obviously, if there's anything competitive, you can't tell me, but well, what's the future look like? Are you going to expand into other areas? Are you looking to do something slightly different? You know, like, can you tell us anything around that sort of like future path for you? From a sustainability perspective for me, it's, it's about continuing to enhance our refillable product yep. range. So I... Hopefully over the summer, you'll hear us talk more about reusable milk packaging. Excellent. So, so that's something we're currently working on, which we're really excited about. And again, would hopefully be a sort of first first out of the gate in the UK. So fingers, again, fingers lead, crossed, leading the way again. Hopefully, yes. So I'm very excited about that. I think eco-impact labeling, I think there's huge, huge potential there to, to really make a difference and, and just continue to help our customers make the right choice. Because I think we, as a retailer, have a responsibility to help our customers consume more sustainably. And, and I think we can do that through providing the kinds of information that they'd like to see to make those decisions. Being able to show them, okay, this is a high carbon product, this is low carbon, this is high watering usage, high pollution, whatever. You know, whatever someone's interested in. You're giving the customers, the consumers, the choice to then make a sustainable decision. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, also maybe, I mean, I foresee, for example, that in a few years' time, we might be able to say, okay, Steve, you can set a carbon budget for your shop or a, a water budget for yeah. your shop. If you're, if you're exceeding that, we would alert you and say, you know, that's a great collection of products here, but you've exceeded what you'd hoped to use up in terms of your water or your carbon. You know, just so help. tailored to my sustainability yes. focuses. Yeah. That's excellent. I think so that's a great I'd, idea. I'd, I'd love to sort of think that there'll be something like that on the horizon in a few years' time. But... Well, if you give it the focus you've given it for the last 35 years, I'm sure you'll yeah. succeed at that. Yes, thank you. Okay, well, that's been fascinating. I would like to just thank Stephanie Samel from Abel & Cole. Really appreciate a fantastic interview and thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.